your Bible, turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. One of David's psalms. A beautiful psalm, one that I love. Going to be preaching today on abuse from victim to victor. How do you, as a victim, become victorious? Uh, it, It would shock you, I believe. It would probably shock me, too, to know how many people in our auditorium right now, today, have been victims of abuse. Now, if we define the word abuse, of course, that has everything to do with it. And one definition means to injure or do violence to someone. It means to misuse or be inappropriate to them. And it can take a lot of different forms. It can be sexual abuse. There can be hitting, physical abuse. There can be verbal abuse. There can be emotional abuse, child abuse, elder abuse, domestic violence, abortion, rape, divorce, bullying, all kinds of forms. Probably that doesn't uh, cover every single one, but you get the idea. It can take place in a lot of different settings. It can take place in the home. It's supposed to be a safe haven for everyone. It can take place in the church, and that grieves me greatly when it does. Uh, Even as as I was typing this sermon this week and as I was studying this sermon, I got a a bulletin from Guidestone, which is the SBC um, organization, Southern Baptist uh, organization, and they were announcing a sexual abuse summit uh, for 2018. And and I thought to myself, how sad that we actually have to be concerned about abuse, even in some churches in the house of God. Uh, It can happen in school. It can happen in places of recreation with coaches, with other team members. It can be on dates. It can be in nursing homes, hospitals, and work. One estimate is, I don't know where they get this, there are 60 million survivors of sexual abuse in America today. I have no idea of the accuracy of that. They say 30 to 50% of ladies who have been, uh, have been sexually abused by the time they're 18, one in six boys are molested by the time they're 18, 25% of, of all uh, adults, up to 90% of such abuse of children is by someone the child knows. So we're in the middle of a a Me Too movement, there's a lot more attention, a lot more light being shined on this whole pro- on, on part of the problem because sexual abuse is just part of the problem. Uh, but we need to be aware, and, and we need to be aware that there, there are two aspects to this. There's, there's the person who's being abused in whatever way they're being abused, and there's the person who is doing uh, the abusing. And if you're in an active abusive situation, um, or, or maybe you had abuse in your childhood, the emotions are damaged. They just seem that they won't go away. We do have an answer in the Word of God. If you have been abused, there is hope for you. And by the way, if you've been abused, do not buy into the idea that it's your fault. Someone who had authority over you, someone who had power over you, uh, abused you, it's not your fault. You need to turn to God, and we'll go over what, what some items, some steps to take that we need to do that. But let me say also to the abuser, a lot of times people who've been abused become abusers. And to the abuser, there's hope for you too. Uh, And we have a wonderful message that David gave us in Psalm 103. So if you're a victim of abuse, bring it to God. That's the first point. Bring it to God. Bring your hurt, God into your hurts immediately. He is a heavenly father. When I say father, immediately some people get a negative concept in their brain because they had a father or a stepfather or a mother or stepmother who abused them and were abusive to them. Maybe it wasn't sexual. Maybe it was just being mean. Maybe it was just never, ever being able to please them. 
Um, maybe it was emotional. Maybe someone they called you names. They, they meant well, but they didn't handle what they would call disciplinary situations very well. And so some of you get a negative idea and, and this concept of, of a heavenly father. And I, I want you to try very difficult, but I want you to try very hard to get by that negative initial response and understand that when I talk about a heavenly father, I talk about one who is sinless. I talk about one who is perfect. I talk about one who's the uh, epitome of all that a father should and ought to be. And he will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. He will never forsake you. You can trust him absolutely. He will never take advantage of you. He will never kick you when you're down. You can trust him completely. In Psalm 103, verse 1 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And that start, it all starts with praising him. When we talk about blessing the Lord, it's, it's praising God. Uh, bless means to, it, it implied in that word in the Hebrew here, is the idea of kneeling down before. So we kneel down before. And your greatest blessing from God and praise to God comes from being in a, either physically on your knees before God or spiritually in an attitude of kneeling before Almighty God in prayer. When you're on your knees, when I'm on my knees, our whole perspective changes. We look up to him. We look up uh, to our Heavenly Father. And, and looking up, we get our eyes off of the circumstances and into the face of a holy God who can actually help us. You give your life completely over to him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He is the one who knows how to heal you. David brings his soul into it. The soul was the mind, the will, the emotions, the, 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 the part of him that felt and that was injured and that needed healing. David is turning those things over to God. God, I give them to you. You praise God, not for what has happened to you in the way of abuse, but you praise God that he is bigger than what has happened to you, and he can heal whatever injuries that you have. Now, notice here, David's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, praise his holy name. He is, he's talking to himself. A lot of times in scriptures, you find people talking to self. David, one of my favorite passages of scripture is when David encourages himself in the Lord, and he begins to kind of talk with himself and rehearse the blessings of God, and so it's okay to talk to yourself. If you ever see me driving down the street and I'm talking to myself, there's nobody else in the car, I'm just trying to get some good advice. I mean, you know, so just give me a break. I mean, David talking to himself. And, and so he's saying, David, you need to do something about this. David, you need to worship the Lord. You need to bless God. You need to get on your knees. And David had a lot of difficult times, wouldn't you agree? David was a victim of abuse, not from his parents, but from King Saul. All he did was deliver the nation of Israel from the giant Goliath, and he was, his life was in jeopardy. He was threatened many times. Uh, Saul threw spears at him. Saul sent armies after him, and he was abused. So he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. In the midst of all of this, bless the Lord. I need to thank you, God, for what you're doing for me. And he, and he, he made up his mind that things were going to change. His mind, will, and emotion were engaged here, and, and I'm not going to wallow in my abusive situation, but I am, in fact, going to bless God and thank God and trust God to take me out of the situation. Now, look at verse 6 of Psalm 103. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. That's a promise from God. That is as much 
of a promise is John 3.16. God, the Lord, gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly, or those who are oppressed, those who suffer cruel wrongs, those who are abused. Now, God's either God's word is either true or it's not. I've found it to be true. i found that anytime I trust the word of God, he makes it good. He follows through on it. Verse 14 says, for he knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're clay. He knows we have a breaking point. He knows exactly how much you can take, exactly how much I can take, and he he posts a limit there. It's like a, it's like a bridge with a weight limit. If you're a vehicle of, of so many pounds, do not come on this bridge because it's not trustworthy. He knows your breaking point. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he won't allow us to be tested above that which we're able to stand. So whatever comes into our lives, as awful as it is, and you and I could sit here and we could recount some of the most horrific stories of things that have happened to people in the past and, and, and shake our heads and say, I don't know how anybody can go through that, but I'm telling you, God said he will not allow us to be tested above that which we're able to stand, but will with that testing give us a way of escape. Second thing, after you bring God into it, bless the Lord of my soul for getting out all his benefits, then you need to focus on what we have as a child of God. Focus on what we have. Verse 2 says, praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget all the good things he does for me. I don't know why, but Pat and I, in our, in our season in life right now, having been married 49 years and, and uh, you know, planning the 50th coming up and... Uh, She's getting all excited about that, uh, and, and I just, I've been thinking about the blessings of the past 49, I told one of the guys Saturday, yesterday, I said, you know, I, I feel like we're in the best time of our entire life right now, but as I look back at it, we've lived the best time of our life for decades. I, I didn't always understand it when I was young, you know, 25 and 30, and you, you, you know, life is going on, and you've got kids to get up in the morning, get ready, get them off to school and do all this stuff, and, and church and pastoring, and okay, you know, we got things happening, we, we, we want to fill up the church, we got to build, we got to buy land, we got to buy, I mean, all of the stuff that went into all it. Sometimes you get caught up in the moment and don't realize how incredible God is to you every single day. Hey, here's something, here's a blessing. You can breathe. How many of us thank God today that we can breathe? Yeah, okay. Ah, we, we, we can, we can uh, assimilate food. I saw some of you assimilating donuts over there. We got coffee. We got juice. We, I, I mean, we got a place to meet. We got a free country. We, a lot of us had cars or, yeah, not in Coronado, of course, you have bicycles, but uh, uh, other people have cars and, and, and drove to church today and, and you rode and you pushed buggies and, and, and all of that. I mean, what a, what a, today God has blessed you and God has blessed me. So, so focus on what we have as a child of God, not what we don't have. Remember his blessings toward us. I look back and I think, man, alive, you know what? God put me in a place when I was eight years old where 
I learned about Jesus Christ being the Savior, the Son of God. I, I, I went through what I call my Baptist catechism with a preacher who met with us once a week for the summer. And at the end of that, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. What a difference that made for me for my eternity. Salvation. I could have been born in some country where we'd not know Christ and not ever hear the message of salvation. But God allowed me to be born here and give me the word of God, and give me a preacher who cared, and, and led me to Christ. I think about going to Bible college, and I, I, I mean, just, just every, you, you think about the benefits that God has given to you. Benefits in the King James Version means things that God gives to treat us well. God always, always, always treats us well. And there are perks for doing things God's way. The more we know of the word of God, and the more we follow the word of God, the better off things are going to be for us. Always be grateful for the promise, for the things that God has done. We get on our knees and we just pour out our hearts to God and ask him for more and more and more without thinking, thanking him for what he did in the past. That's not a good plan. We should start our prayers out by thanking God for what he's already done. Because if God, I hope you agree with this, if God never blessed us one more time, he doesn't owe us anything. He's blessed us so much to this point in time. Thank God for the perks that you have. Thank God for the blessing. You have resurrection power. One of these days, this old body is going to lie down for the last time and breathe in the last breath and have the last thought in this life, and then it'll be an eternity. We have resurrection power promise. We have heaven's resources and heaven itself. We have the power of prayer. I'll tell you what, just, just praying just seeing God answer prayers that only God could do in the way that he does it is an amazing thing. We have the Bible, the God's love letter to you and God's love letter to me to teach us how to live and how to make decisions. We have faith that can move mountains. We have a church who loves on us and, and is here for us. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and comfort us when nobody else necessarily can be there, but the Holy Spirit can be there. We have the will to choose a better life in Christ. We have freedom from condemnation. We are accepted unconditionally. We make a mistake with our kids sometimes. We say, you know what? God will love you more if you, if you, if you clean up your room. No, he loves them unconditionally, whether they clean their room or whether they don't clean their room. We are accepted. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are forgiven if we have our faith and trust in Christ. Nothing is impossible. Nothing, Gary, nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter what it is. You have won the battle already in Christ Jesus if you're trusting him as your personal Savior. Forget not his benefits toward us. He's done so much, and he can do so much more. Oh, but Satan comes along like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He comes along. He's going to do that study on the armor of God. And the armor of God, one reason there is to protect against the weaponry of the enemy. And he's an enemy, and he tries to seek and to destroy and to do what he can to put you down, to defeat you, to get you to give up, to get you to quit. And then you have feelings. Feelings are, you know, I mean, our emotions get all skewed in this thing. And I, all of a sudden, I want to break out in song, but I don't know the words of that song. Feelings. Uh, anyway, they can be really bad. People can be bad. People can be cruel. People can be unsympathetic. People can be insensitive. 
But in Christ, you have the power to battle Satan, to overcome your feelings, and to answer anyone who accuses you. Those are just some of the benefits of God. And if we were to sit here, stand here, and give you the benefits of God, we could stay the rest of the day until 6 o'clock. We'd have to head out real quick. We could do it all day long, the benefits of God. Now, here's, here's something for those who've been abused. You can experience healing. In verse 3, he forgives all my sins and what? Heals all my diseases. He heals all my hurts. The healing may well begin by dealing with our own sins first. I just want to put that out there. Not that, again, not that uh, it's your fault if someone was abusive to you, but in your hurt, you may have turned to several things other than God. In your hurt and in our hurts, we turn to hatred sometimes, we turn to bitterness sometimes, we turn to alcohol sometimes, we turn to atheism sometimes, assuming that because things didn't work out the way that we wanted them to work out, it must mean that God hates us or there is no God, one or the other. Or we turn to alcohol or some other drug, or we turn to immorality, or perhaps we turn to abusing others like this young lady did in the video. A huge number of abusers were themselves abused in the past. Look at verse 12. He has removed our rebellious acts as far from us as the east is from the west. Do you know there are no east and west poles? There's a north and south pole, and we could actually get a, we could get a dimension of how far it is from the North Pole to the South Pole, but there is no East and West Pole, so you can't really get a dimension. And so the idea is he's removed our own sins, our own rebelliousness from us as far as the East is from the West. That's infinity in both directions. You just keep circling, keep going around and around and around and around. That's how far he has taken our sins away. And he heals our diseases. He restores, he cures even our minds even our damaged emotions, he can give you your smile back again. So this is, the, this is the meat of the message right here for those who've been abused. 11 things you can do if you have been or are being abused. These are action points. Don't just listen to them and forget about it and go home and go eat lunch somewhere. Think about this. If you are in an abusive situation, A, First thing, immediately remove yourself from the abuse. Immediately remove yourself from the abuse. Don't keep thinking it'll get better. He or she is going to change if I just stick it out. Get away from the abusive situation. And I'm talking especially if there's a potential for physical harm to the point of injury and death. Secondly, stop protecting the abuser. They need help. Stop making excuses. Stop covering up. Stop allowing them to intimidate you. Talk to someone you can trust, someone who will help. Um, we actually had an abuser in the school where I was the, the pastor. We had, a, we had a Christian school. We had a coach who was abusive of one of, the, one of the girls there. I had compassion for this girl. I had compassion for the guy, but I'll tell you what I did. I marched the police right over to where the teacher was and said, here he is. And they handcuffed him and took him out. Find out. Find someone you can trust. Third thing is confront yourself. Get honest with yourself. Face your loss. Face your anger. Admit it. 
And if you've begun to get bitter and untrusting of everybody, then your, your past is still in the present, and you, you'll have to travel in the future to confront it. Give it to God. Turn it over completely to him. Next thing, choose to forgive the abuser. I can't overemphasize this. And I can't tell you the number of times in counseling over the last 45 years when people have said, I've come to this point, and they've said, I, I can't forgive him. I just can't preach. You don't understand. And I don't understand. I have not had happen what some have had happen. But I do know this, that bitterness is not the answer. I've told you before, bitterness is like taking poison to get even with someone else. Bitterness is a sin. So don't allow someone, because of what they're doing, to drive you into a sinful situation. Choose to forgive the abuser. You say, well, I, can't, I don't know how to do that. Then you be the conduit, you be the pipeline for God's forgiveness to that person. You say, well, preacher, it's been time after time after. I've forgiven, 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 forgiven. How many times? It was seven times 70 is what Jesus said. That's 490 times. And if you're keeping count, you're not really forgiven. So just keep forgiven. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, having never sinned one time, having never wronged one person, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Choose to forgive. You might be able, not be able to, but Christ can forgive them through you. Forgiveness is a choice you make. It's not a feeling you feel. Forgiveness is giving up your right to hate and hurt the abuser back. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. And, and you can let yourself out of bondage. You can help yourself to be free. Turn that person over to God. Bitterness is your own sin. Now, let me stop and say this. Forgiveness is not the same as trust, okay? So if someone's have been abusive of you, and you forgive them, it doesn't mean you put yourself in a potentially harmful situation again. Do not do that. It's not what I'm saying. Use good sense. Use wisdom that God will give to you. Forgiveness breaks the cycle. Verse 17 of Psalm 103, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to children's children. And what we do now affects our children, affects our grandchildren. It's cyclical. It's, it's passed on, and, and we want to pass on the right kind of things. Here's the next point, number five. Stop trying to change the abuser. Pray for them. Pray that God will change them. It's not your job to change them. Probably you're not going to be able to change them. Nothing will change that person until that person comes clean and deals with their own fault and their own problems. Don't feel the responsibility. Next thing, write it down. Write down your feelings, your anger, your confessions. All of that is therapeutic. Have a plan of action and goals that will help you in your healing. I've got a great book, Healing uh, Life's Hurts. Is that the name of it? Healing Life's Hurts? Yeah, well, how would you know? I'm recommending it to you right here. Uh, so I've got it, whatever it is. So if, if you need a book on how to, how to let God help heal your hurts, then you see me, and, and we'll, we'll connect that book with you. Ha, have a plan. Commitment, it, it, that, commitments that are written down, someone says, are three times uh, more likely to happen than one that is not written down, just in your head. Write a letter to your abuser. Don't mail it, but write a letter to your abuser. Then tear it up, throw it away, give it to God, completely give it to God. Here's the next thing. Lean on someone. 
You need someone who will be there for you, an accountability partner, a friend, a Christian counselor, a group, someone you can talk to, a healthy relationship with someone of the same sex who can encourage you and help you. I totally recommend of the same sex. I don't recommend if you're in an abusive situation with your husband, ladies, I don't, I don't recommend you find a guy that you can uh, lean on uh, for emotional support. I think that's a recipe for problems. So find a lady, a godly lady that you can, you can meet with. Then practice daily disciplines. We learned yesterday, guys, didn't we, that we study the Word of God, uh, we have prayer, we have a mentor or a coach, a life coach, those three things. Get in the Word of God, get on your knees before God in prayer, and get someone that you can that can mentor you and help you to grow in the Lord. So these are minimum daily requirements of, of daily disciplines. Build into your routine. If you don't have a time and a place where you meet God every day, you will not meet with God. If you don't set a time, set a place, you won't meet with Him. Things will come up. Life keeps on. You, run, you go to bed at night, you'll say, man, I didn't have my time with God today because you didn't have a set time. Make this an appointment. Put it on your calendar. You say, preacher, I got to be at work 6 o'clock. Get up at 4.30. How in the world do I do that? Go to bed at 8.30 the night before. That's how you do that. Stay up and watch TV until 10.30, 11, 11.30, or 12, and then try to get up at 4.30. That's a problem. Get a routine. Look for insights. Keep a journal of what God says to you. Write down his promises. Apply the verses and then be still and let God love on you. Uh, here's another thing. Renew your mind. Your thought life is so very important. The things that you think about. When you relive what's happened time after time after time after time and time, and that's your focus, that's a recipe again for disaster. Satan will bombard your mind with negativity. So replace that stuff that's happened with God's thoughts. With God's Word, Ryan talked about memorizing Scripture yesterday, and it's an important discipline to memorize verses. And when Satan tries to throw something at you, to have a verse to respond to him with, to give him uh, that, that counters and negates what he's trying to get going on, that, that's a powerful thing. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We don't have to be negative. We don't have to think about the failures. We don't have to think about the problems. We, we can bring into captivity those thoughts to the glory of God and then release the guilt. It's not your fault. Again, give your guilt to Christ at the cross. And last of all, institute new boundaries. Set the rules as to what you will and will not do. Set healthy limits. Refuse to put yourself in situations where you will be hurt again. Have scriptural fences and boundaries set up. And that leads us to this point. You can have a new beginning. In verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 103, where we are, he ransoms, ransoms me from death surrounds me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. I would suppose to some point, some extent, every one of us have been damaged in some way. But it's not over with. And we can begin anew. And that's what the whole idea of forgiveness and restoration and healing is all about. And from this moment on, your life, my life, our life can change. 
If you've been in an abusive situation, you've been in a pit, and God can get you out. He has ransomed you. The Bible says, you know what ransom is? A ransom when someone pays a price to set you free. He has ransomed you. He has paid the price with his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, that pure blood in whom there was no hint of wrong or sin or or failure or shortcoming. And he shed that blood so that you and I could be forgiven. And he can renew you. You give God the abuse, and he can transform you by his grace. The message mainly is for those who are abused to try to help you out of a difficult situation. But to the abuser, i got two words. Stop it. Stop it. Whatever is the reason why you are abusive, just stop it. Just stop it. To the abused, I end this message with a story called The Treasure. The cheerful girl with bouncy golden curls was almost five years old and waiting at the checkout stand with her mother when she saw a circle of glistening white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, mommy, can I have them, please? I want them so badly. Quickly, the mom checked the price on the foil box and then looked back into the eyes of her little girl's upturned face. $1.95. That's almost $2. If you really want them, I'll give you some more chores and you can earn the money to buy them for yourself. Your birthday is only a week away, and you might get some money from your brother. As soon as the little girl got home, she emptied her piggy bank and counted out 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more than her share of chores, and she went to the neighbor and asked if she could pull dandelions. And then on her birthday, her brother came through with a brand-new dollar bill. Finally, she had enough money to buy the necklace, and she loved those little pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere, to Sunday school, to church, even to bed. The only time she took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath. Her mother said if they got wet, they might turn her neck green. Her dad was very loving and would read her a story every night. And sure enough, the necklace began to turn her neck colors. One night he asked her, do you love me? She said, yes, Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls, he said. Oh, no, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have my pretty pony instead. He just kissed her goodnight and left the room. A couple nights later, he asked again, do you love me? She said, yes, Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, take my baby doll instead. You can even have the little blanket that goes with her outfit. That's okay, babe. Sleep well. God bless you, honey. And he kissed her and left. A couple of nights later, as her dad came into the room, she was sitting on her bed. Her chin was trembling. A tear was running down her cheek. What's wrong, honey? He asked. She didn't say anything, but she lifted her little hand. And when she opened it, there was her little string of pearls. Finally, she said, here, daddy, you can have them. With tears in his own eyes, he reached out and took the dime store necklace, while with the other hand, he took a blue velvet case out of his pocket and handed it to the little girl. Inside was a genuine pearl necklace. He had them all along. He was just waiting for her to give up the little dime store stuff so he could give her a genuine treasure. 
How long are we going to hang on to our stuff until it turns our emotions green when God wants to replace it with genuine treasure? For every one of you who faced abuse or are facing abuse and enduring it even now, I'm so sorry. But I want you to give that junk to God. And I want you to take from him the pearl of great price. Replace that stuff with God's grace, his treasure, his love, his forgiveness, his peace, his freedom, his liberty. He wants to do that in your life. But you've got to let it go. Would you do that today? I'm ask you to bow your heads. I'm ask you just to think about this for a moment. Would you do that today? Would you give him the junk? The things that have happened that shouldn't have happened in a perfect world. And it certainly wasn't God's will that it all happened. Things do happen that he allows, but it doesn't mean he mandates them or wants them to happen. And if I talk about bitterness, does someone's face come into your mind? Does some name enter your brain? Then right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, as best as you can do this, as best and as sincerely as you can do this, would you say to God, God, I forgive, and insert that name, I forgive that person. God, help me to give this stuff to you and replace it with your grace and your mercy and your acceptance and your love. If you've been a victim, you can become a victor today, right now. Our Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this room, would be lifting from our hearts all kinds of hurts, bitternesses, anger, distrust, negativity, and replace it with love and peace and long-suffering, steadfastness, faith. God, help us to give the junk to you and give us your treasure in its place. And Lord, if we've been abusive, intimidating, hateful, mean, if we said unkind things, God, forgive us. Help us to go to the folks that we've wronged and make it right by asking their forgiveness. Help us prepare our hearts for communion that will follow in just a few moments. And Lord, if there's someone here who needs to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day when they turn to you. And if that's you I'm talking about, the Bible says simply that we must realize that we're sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. You're going to die one day. We're sinners. We're going to die. But Jesus Christ proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he says if we'll call upon the name of the Lord, that he'll forgive us our sins, he'll cleanse our hearts and forgive us of our sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
If you'd like to call upon Jesus Christ for salvation right now with every head bowed, just pray this prayer to him. Father, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize one day I will die. I'll stand before you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. And I ask him to be my Savior and my God right now. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you chose to forgive someone, if you made some kind of a spiritual commitment and decisions today, because we're going to have communion, I'm not going to have a come forward invitation, but I want you to take one of those connection cards that Rachel showed you earlier, and I want you to fill it out, and I'd love for you to give it to one of us or put it in the box in the back to the left of the double doors when you leave. And we're going to go into communion, so I'm going to ask those who are going to help serve communion to come on. And I want you to know if you're a child of God and you've made things right, because the Bible says to examine yourselves before the Lord. And if you've done that, then we invite you to participate. But we do want you to wait until everyone is served. And then we'll partake of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine.